0: Well, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and the Outdoors podcast with Sean McVeigh. I want to welcome you to this episode, and I am actually recording this on Wednesday, December the 13th. Yesterday, December the 12th, the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, I aired a podcast dealing with the perpetual virginity of Mary. And boy, have I gotten lots of comments on that, especially from a few individuals who strongly oppose this long-standing teaching that has been around for well over a thousand years, in fact, two thousand years. So I'm going to address that a little more completely here, and I'm going to address some specific things those people questioned and asked about or pointed out. And I'm also going to invite people to the fullness of truth that Jesus has revealed. And I'm going to do all that by beginning with a prayer. So let's begin by praying to our Father in heaven in the name of his Son Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, give us a desire for you that supersedes and far exceeds anything else in this world. Help us to seek you with earnestness, heartfelt, and genuine desire, with the full strength of our heart, mind, and soul. In a special way, Father, I ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be sent upon us and for the grace to be given to anyone who currently has not been able to see the truth you have proclaimed to us and given to us, especially those who think they are correct and the Catholic Church is wrong or that my recounting of Catholic teaching is wrong. Give them humility of heart and the grace to see what I will attempt to communicate with them today so that they might have a chance to be even closer to you and your son Jesus and the Holy Spirit than they currently are or they ever could be if they remain outside of your Catholic Church. I pray this in your name, to you, Father, in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. So, uh, last week, as I said, I addressed the perpetual virginity of Mary, and I thought it was, I felt very inspired by God to do that. Uh, We were coming off of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, which is a dogmatic teaching of the Catholic Church, that Mary was conceived without sin, which makes total sense, because her body would have the body of our Lord and Savior in it, and her blood would flow through his body, his veins, while he was in her, her body. So it makes sense for God to preserve her with a special grace so that she would be a pure vessel to carry our Lord and Savior. And also with the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which just took place, uh, I just thought it was you know, a fitting time even for God to kind of inspire me with, with sharing that message. Uh, Those of you who are non-Catholic or who do not want to believe in Catholic teachings, you should look at all the miraculous events that have taken place regarding the tilma of now St. Juan Diego in um, Guadalupe, Mexico, and all of the miracles surrounding the fact that that thing even still exists 500 years later when it's made with material that should have decomposed after about 60 years (laughs) so there's just i mean the the volume of miraculousness that surrounds our lady of guadalupe is phenomenal and i guess it's fitting that i point that out because while millions of people were leaving the catholic church at the time of the protestant reformation millions of people were joining the catholic church through the um What Mary did in Guadalupe, Mexico, through her apparition to Juan Diego and the miraculous image that she left on his tilma. I mean, there's just so many miracles. So those of you who are non-Catholic and who reject Catholic teachings, I encourage you to do some research on Our Lady of Guadalupe and pray to Jesus And that's one thing that you'll notice I constantly do. I beg you to take things to prayer. And I'm going to do that again today, later on. Um, but But I encourage you to look into Our Lady of Guadalupe and what has taken place there. And I beg you to pray to Jesus and ask Jesus to guide you to him through the Holy Spirit. And... You need to be willing to let go of your preconceived ideas or your current ideas about Jesus because if you're not Catholic, some of your theological ideas are incorrect. And I'm about to show you what I mean. And before I do that, I just want to lay out the framework of what is taking place, what the devil has done and is trying to do to keep people from Jesus and the fullness of truth, especially the fullness of Jesus in the Eucharist. Well, I'm going to talk more about the Eucharist later, but for right now, here's what happened. And we can look to the experience with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any of the trees of the Garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may not eat of it or even touch it lest you die. I mean, we only hear about the touch part, in the way eve recounts it later on but when we hear god speak it to adam he says you may not eat of it anyhow when satan appears he says did god really tell you you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden now what satan does is he takes a truth and he distorts it he makes it a non-truth so god did not say they could not eat of any of the trees God said you could eat of of any tree except the one tree. So there is a component where God said don't do something. And Satan distorted that. So now, um, one of the things that Satan has done is he has built all non-Catholic, what we would call Protestant or non-denominational religions on some false teachings. And then in order to keep you from recognizing these false foundations that all of your belief is is based on, he then takes little scriptures, twists them, and gets you to think, oh, see, the Catholic Church can't possibly be Jesus' church. In a sense, he's saying, is the Catholic Church really Jesus' church? Look at this here. See, the Catholic Church is wrong about that. So all the while, you do not see where your foundation is off. Now, let me show you how your foundation is off. Anyone who's listening right now who believes that we should look to the Bible alone to find out the truth about God and his revealed truths, say that to yourself out loud right now. Even look in a mirror if you can. I believe that all of the truths from God are to be found in the Bible alone period. Okay, now if you believe that and you consider yourself a Christian, I'm going to state a few more of your beliefs right now that are going to seemingly contradict each other, and these are foundational. So, do you believe there is only one God? Now, this is a yes or no question. Do you believe there's only one God? If you're a Christian or even a Jew, you just answered yes. Great. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that there is God the Father in heaven? Probably you just said yes. Do you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, who came to earth and died for our salvation? Do you believe in Jesus? You probably just said yes. Now, do you believe that God has sent us the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascended into heaven? If you follow all this, then then you probably just said yes. So now we believe in one God, we say, but yet we just named a God called Father, a separate entity that we call Jesus, and yet another separate entity that we call the Holy Spirit. Now tell me, where in the Bible does it explain how it's possible for there to be one God yet still be a Father, a separate entity we call the Son, and a separate entity we call the Holy Spirit. Where does the Bible say how that's even possible, or how what does does that mean? How can there be a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet only be one God? Because if you are following the math here, I'm counting Father as one, Jesus, a separate entity that you said you believed in, as number two, and the Holy Spirit, another separate entity, is number three. And remember, Jesus said he had to go to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit. It was almost like they had to take turns because they're separate entities, yet we're saying there's only one God. So show me, Christian, where does the Bible explain how this is possible or what this means? or How is there one God, yet there is a Father? And there's also a Son, and there's also a Holy Spirit. The question then becomes, does the Bible contain all of the truths that God has revealed? Because clearly the Bible does not clarify this. So the answer is, no, it is not found in the Bible. Where is this teaching found? Well, this teaching was defined by the Catholic bishops, around the year 250, I believe it was, which is 100 years before they even started to compile what would become an official list of books of the Bible. So there wasn't even a Bible in existence as we know it now when the church defined the truth about this. So let's pause and say, ask once again, does the Bible contain all of the truth that God has revealed? No, it does not. Jesus is actually recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, talking to the apostles. and He says this, quote, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear to hear it now. That is why I will send you the Holy Spirit who will guide you to all truth. When did the Holy Spirit get sent? It was at Pentecost, which was after Jesus ascended into heaven after the resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit was sent to lead and guide the church. Now, in the book of Acts, we see there is great trouble among the early Christians because Gentiles began to become Christians, yet they were not members of the original covenant through circumcision. So a great debate broke out. Do we need to be circumcised? Before being baptized into the new covenant, the new relationship with God. And the reason why an argument broke out is because Jesus Christ, while he was on earth, did not give the apostles a teaching that would clarify this. I repeat, Jesus did not give the apostles this teaching while he was on earth, meaning Jesus did not say to the apostles, hey guys, When the new covenant begins, you will no longer need to circumcise people to become members of the new covenant. Circumcision was what was necessary to enter the old covenant. It was the Holy Spirit who led the apostles through prayer and debate. And then the guiding leader of the church, which is Peter, is the the chair who ultimately makes a final decision when it comes to these types of debates. So they concluded that circumcision was not necessary to become baptized and be a member of the new covenant. Now, I will also interject this. We have a situation later on in the book of Acts where Peter is kind of not living up to his faith, which he has a little bit of a history of doing. And Paul called him out on it. So Peter would eat with the Gentiles until the sincere, devout Jews who became Christians showed up. The people who thought, nope, no, you still need to be circumcised if you want to be in the new covenant. So when those guys would show up, Peter was kind of being a hypocrite, a two-faced, and would stop eating with the Gentile Christians. And Paul called him out on that. So, it wasn't a matter of any theological teaching. It was a matter of Peter's inappropriate behavior. In a sense, Paul was pointing out his sin to him. I mean, it's wrong. And it was a hypocrite move for Peter to do that. And so he called him out to it on his face, to his face. So, let's come full circle now. And I invite you, if you're a non Catholic Christian, to look yourself in the mirror. Once again, and say, Do I believe all the teachings that God has revealed are in the Bible alone? Yes or no? Now, if you just said yes, you have several problems. One is there's nowhere in the Bible that says the Bible alone contains all of the truths revealed by God. That's one problem. And secondly, I just showed you a foundational Christian belief that is crucial to understand, yet has no explanation for it in the Bible. That being, there's one God, yet there is a Father, Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. How is it that there's one God when we're naming three distinct and separate entities? So, again, that was defined by the Catholic bishops. And I'm not gonna tell you what the answer to that is right now, because I want you to stew on it and realize that you have based your beliefs on something that is false. So then when you come to a Catholic and say, where's that in the Bible? I'll just say to you, where is the teaching on the Trinity and God being one, yet a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit explained in the Bible? It's not. So first and foremost, you are going to have to drop that whole sentence that sen- or question where's that in the bible because you yourself do not even follow it okay because not all of the teachings revealed by god are in the bible alone where does that idea come from it comes from the protestant reformation that was there was two key teachings that were promulgated by martin luther during the protestant reformation it was scripture alone and faith alone now why did he need those because if you only need your bible alone you don't have to be obedient to the teaching authority established over us in the church if you don't need to be if you don't need the church you can do it all on your own so they needed these two teachings in order to separate themselves in their own mind. And this is, guys, this is the work of the devil because the Bible does not teach, the Bible alone has all the truth from God. So there's your foundational lie that the devil implanted into Christianity so that he can draw you further off mark. And the other teaching, the faith alone idea, there's, there's some serious things going on here. First of all, it was taught that you only need faith alone Again, so that you don't need the sacraments in the church, you don't need the teaching authority of the church, all you need is your own faith. It's a very self centered religion. My Bible, my faith, that's it. I don't need you, I don't need a church. And that's the underlying prevailing mentality of many non Catholic Christians, even in our current culture, especially your non denominational ones, that I don't need a church. I don't, I don't need this organized religion. I can d- read my Bible on my own. I can pray to God on my own. This is, anybody who thinks that way, you probably don't even realize how much you've been deceived by the devil to get to that point. Now, when it comes to faith alone, there's only one sentence in the Bible that uses the words faith alone, which is James 2.24. And that states, see how we're justified by works and not by faith alone. Martin Luther, who was teaching that faith alone was necessary, actually changed the wording in Romans 3.28 to try to promote his teaching. So Romans 3.28 says we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. He inserted the word alone. We are justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. So here you have a human being changing the sacred words of scripture to promote this teaching which goes directly against what the scriptures do reveal in James 2.24. Again, this is a lie that was inspired by the devil, the father of lies, and now we have good, sincere Christians who love Jesus, who have based their whole belief system, knowingly or unknowingly, on these lies. And then the devil then works with their current mentality to try to turn them farther against the Catholic church. I had people commenting, saying that, you know, basically you're a fool for being Catholic. Why would you ever be Catholic? It's the the harlots and all this stuff. Hey, guess what? If the Catholic church is the church that Jesus founded and the Holy Spirit continues to lead and guide to this day, what is the one church the devil wants to bring down? The devil wants you to think is evil. It's going to be the Catholic Church. Have you ever heard of any other, quote, denomination ever being attacked like you do the Catholic Church? (laughs) No. Why? Because the Catholic Church has the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. And the devil is at work trying to bring it down. Night and day, without ceasing, the devil is trying to take you away from the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace, because if he can do that, it's easier for him to pick you apart. Even if you think you love Jesus, before I get into some other scripture passages addressing what I did last time, I want you to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, do I believe that all of the truths from God are found in scripture alone? Yes or no? And if you just said yes, realize that you are still believing something that is false. And I just showed you with this teaching on God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God being one, yet we have three entities, and there's no explanation of that in the Bible. And that has such a core foundational belief of all of our belief system that you need that understanding in order to progress and, and keep going in the Christian faith. Okay, so you need to be brutally honest with yourself. And when you can do that and realize that the Bible alone doesn't have everything we need, the next question is, okay, then where do I go? Who do I listen to? Who gives the authoritative teachings from God if they're not in the Bible alone? Now, I've already explained very thoroughly in other episodes how Jesus appointed Peter, his name was Simon. There was a man named Simon who was a fisherman that God chose, Jesus chose as one of his apostles. And in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, we see that God the Father gives a specific revelation to Simon alone and no one else on earth. And when Simon says that out loud, Jesus, in in Matthew's gospel, Jesus renames Simon to rock. He says, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church I give you the keys of the kingdom. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, is what Jesus is saying. So here we have the authority of Jesus being given to Simon, renamed Peter or rock, and it's on this rock that Jesus will build his church and Jesus gives his authority to this individual to bind on earth and in heaven. So what this is, this is the theological and moral teaching authority of Jesus being given to a person. We don't see anywhere in the Bible Jesus giving that type of authority to the Bible alone. That's a false idea inspired by Satan, the devil, to take you away from the fullness of truth. So now we have the first pope, we call him Peter, and this fulfills the prophecy of the pope, which is recounted in Isaiah 22, verses 20 to 24. I've shared it with you before. It talks about Eliah. Son of Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who is the prime minister in the king Hezekiah's kingdom. Hezekiah was the best Davidic king after the line, after David. He was the best figure of Jesus, best savior figure. And it was his prime minister who had the keys of the kingdom, whose name was Eliakim. So Jesus is a king from the line of David. Jesus established his kingdom in the same way of other Davidic kings, who went before him, and he has a prime minister or one who's the al or over the household of his kingdom. Okay, this is the person with authority. So from Peter till now, we have a pope who has the authority of Christ when it comes to defining theological teachings. Now I want to transition into this whole debate over Mary, being a perpetual virgin. One person commented and said, what does this even matter? Like, why, why, is, why are you even talking about this? You know, if we just believe in Jesus, that's all that really matters. Well, here's why it really matters. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of truth. So if there is a matter of truth or a matter of lie, we need to embrace the truth as our way of following Jesus, who is the truth. In fact, if we embrace 20 teachings that are true and we reject we reject five that are true, then we are rejecting that percentage. Of Jesus. We are not part of the fullness of truth. We are not part of the full Jesus, and that's a major issue for us. We need to embrace the fullness of truth to fully embrace Jesus himself. If you do not embrace the fullness of truth, you are not embracing the fullness of Jesus himself. You are embracing a false representation, which is not Jesus. Who is the father of lies? Who is the father of falsehood? It's the devil. So in some capacity, some percentage, you are embracing the teachings of Satan over the fullness of Jesus. So if Mary is a perpetual virgin and you're rejecting that teaching, you're rejecting a component of the fullness of truth. So we need to know what the truth is on this comes back to the question of authority. Who do we turn to? If all of the truths from God are not found in Scripture alone, who is the one to guide us to all truth? Jesus showed us in John chapter 16 that he would give the Spirit to the leaders of his church who would guide us to all truth. I already mentioned one crucial teaching that God had to guide us on that wasn't mentioned in Scripture at all, which is how is there a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit, yet that's only one God? We're talking about three separate entities. What's the deal here? Okay. When it comes to Mary's perpetual virginity, uh, being questioned on this is a good thing because it made me go back and look at it all again and refresh myself more thoroughly on the topic and do more research on the topic. So what I can tell you is, well, I'm going to tell you a few things that, that I learned. First of all, The one person who is opposed to this teaching is looking for some way to discredit it. And that's what you have to do. That's what the devil does. Hey, look at this. See, because of this, it can't be true. So this person pointed out some of the early writings, like the Proto-Evangelium book of James or whatever. I forget the exact title of the book. So there's a non-canonical writing from like around the second, third century, somewhere around there, that talks quite a bit about the perpetual virginity of Mary. So the person said, this non-canonical book is where the ideas came from, and then you, you know, your Catholic people started to talk about it, and and then they adopted it as a truth, which is incorrect, (laughs) okay? So the people who follow Jesus— from the time of Jesus and forward, always believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. And in fact, it was such a key teaching or or thought process that the person who wrote that, that book or that writing went extensively into detail about it, Mary's perpetual virginity, or at least more into detail than some of the other writings we, we had at that time period. Now, Because the book was not entered into the canon of Scripture, does that mean that everything in the book is wrong and false? I'm going to ask you, the Christian, especially the non-Catholic Christian, does that mean everything in the book was wrong and false? Yes or no? If you just said yes, then I will point out to you that there are multiple writings that are referenced in sacred Scripture that are not canonical scripture themselves. One example would be the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch was a popular book held by many Jews as inspired by God, but was not embraced in the final canon. So there are probably elements of truth in, I shouldn't say the word probably, there are elements of truth in the book of Enoch which is why scripture can reference it. That doesn't mean everything in Enoch is true, but there are elements of truth in it. My point being is that it's very, it's very, not just reasonable, but factual that there are writings that are non-canonical writings that have truths from God contained in them. The problem is that not everything in them is true, which is why they're not in canon of Scripture. And again, it comes back to authority. Who can tell us what the truth is? Who can tell us what books should be in the Bible? In fact, it was the Catholic Church who defined the books of the Bible as we've had them till now. And at the Protestant Reformation, these people who were changing the teachings, the foundational ones, and creating lies, like I just said, that Martin Luther removed seven books, and two other books of the Bible from the Protestant canon of Scripture. And one that I love to point out to people is the book of Esther. So in the Protestant version of Esther, there is no mention of God, no mention of prayer, nothing. There's no revelation of God at all in the Protestant version of Esther. In the Catholic version of Esther, there is revelation of God. There is prayer. There is God's providence, God saving his people. And so right then and there, if you believe the Bible is is a set of books that contain the revelation of God, then each book should have at least some component of revelation of God. And the Protestant version of Esther does not. So what does that mean about your book of the Bible. Is it inspired by God or not? And I'm going to tell you, it is not. It is not the inspiration of God. It's the Catholic version of Esther that is. And I encourage you to go read both the Catholic and Protestant version of Esther after this podcast today. And you will see that in the Catholic version, there is prolonged prayer offered to God asking for God's saving intervention. And God does save his people. In the Protestant version, it's just a political dispute between a person and the Jewish people. There's no mention at all, at all, of God or prayer or anything like that. Now, in this situation, we're talking about the perpetual virginity of Mary. And what we have are writings in the early church that support and identify that the belief of the people— was that Mary remained a virgin even after giving birth to Jesus. And in fact, throughout church history, the writings that you'll see in reference to the perpetual virginity of Mary, or ever-virgin Mary is often the wording we see. Ever-virgin means forever. Um, What you'll see is that Mary remained a virgin throughout the entirety of her life. Now, even the Protestant reformers, the people who were breaking away from the Catholic Church to start false teachings and new churches, like new, what we call denominations. By the way, I'm going to interject something here. The Catholic Church is the church. The Catholic Church is not a denomination. Any group of people that broke away from the Catholic Church started a separated ecclesial community from the catholic church those are called denominations the catholic church is the church anything outside of that is a denomination so when martin luther started his church called the lutheran church it's we call that the the lutheran denomination and so on anyway coming back from that little tangent martin luther and all of your key protestant you know uh Protesters is really what the word Protestant means. All those protesters held the perpetual virginity of Mary because that had always been believed and taught throughout church history. Throughout Not just the church history, but even the scholars throughout church history believed that Mary remained a virgin. So if you read, you can even go online right now and type in Did Martin Luther believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary? Or what did Martin Luther say about the perpetual virginity of Mary? And you can go ahead and read for yourself that he believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. So what we have is the Christians throughout history believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. And the Catholic Church defined it definitively as a doctrine or dogma, whatever you want to refer to it in this situation, for us to follow and clarified for us that, yes, this is a truth. Now, last week in the podcast, I addressed some scripture passages that modern-day Christians have tried to use, honestly, through the inspiration of the devil, to say the Catholic Church is wrong. And in order to say not just the Catholic Church is wrong here, they'll have to say that, all Christians throughout history were wrong, and I'm right now. Here we are in the year 2023. I'm right. Everybody else for 2,000 years has been wrong about this. So one of the things I did last week is I started off by pointing out in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, this, this sentence. So I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to give you some new Scripture passages today, or at least one. To help explain this, so it says, when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had become she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. So many non-Catholic Christians say the word "until" in this passage means that once she gave birth to Jesus she did have because until is only up until that moment. Now last week I just I just grabbed honestly I just grabbed a passage in scripture that used the word until in, a, in another way or you know and it was um, from 1 Corinthians 15:25 I you know it said Jesus must reign until he places all of his enemies under his feet. And so one person commented well the the word until in the Greek In Corinthians is a different word than the one that was used in Matthew chapter one. So it's you know it's a different meaning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, this is this is fighting for a lie. Now I'm gonna turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, okay, because it uses the same word that Matthew uses in chapter one. So we have the same gospel writer, Matthew, using the same word. Until, in um, in the Greek, it's heos, H-E-O-S, is basically the translation. So he's using the same word that he uses in reference to Joseph and Mary. And I'm going to read you the line. Actually, I'm going to start from the verse before, so it makes total sense. Jesus is speaking to the apostles and says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. Some translations put the word to there, but it's actually the same Greek word until that is used back in Matthew chapter 1. So I why they put the word to there is because... They're trying to make it sound smoother. But the translation of the word, the heos, in, in Greek is until. So it really should read until the end of the age. So if we're going to take the same meaning that non-Catholics are trying to apply in Matthew chapter 1, that means... At the end of the age, Jesus will no longer be with us. Let me repeat myself. If we're going to take the same interpretation that's being used by these people in Matthew chapter 1, then that means Jesus is no longer going to be with us at the end of the age. Now, if you are one of those people who have been non-Catholic and have even followed or ascribed to this, this whole idea that Mary had children after Jesus was born and you used Matthew chapter 1 as one of your, quote, proof texts, Matthew 20, chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, then you would have to then conclude, using the same interpretation of the word, that Jesus will no longer be with us at the end of the age. It's the same word. Now, last week, I had a look at the Gospel of Luke. And the angel appeared to Mary and asked her to be the mother of Jesus. I'm just going to read some of that. And I'm going to comment on it because some people uh, didn't believe what I was sharing with them. So, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Well, it depends on your translation. Some will say greetings, highly favored daughter. Some will say hail full of grace. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Here we go. Pay close attention. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no relations with a man? Let's use common logic here, folks. Mary is betrothed with Joseph. The teaching that has been passed on in the Catholic Church from then until now is that Mary, being that she was full of grace from her earliest moments, had a special devoted heart to God and intended to live virginity for God throughout her life. And in fact, we know from studying the community at Qumran, there were many people at that time period who made a vow of celibacy, even married people, because they were preparing for the coming of the Lord. So it was not an unheard of practice at that time. And Mary was believed to have been one of those individuals who had made a vow of virginity for, throughout her life. So here an angel of the Most High God appears to her and says, you're going to conceive. She says, how can this be? I am a virgin. I have no intention of having sex with a man. Remember that she is betrothed to Joseph already, which would mean that her and Joseph had already planned to maintain their virginity, as was a common custom for very religious people that I just referenced, like the community at Qumran. Now, if you're sitting there and you don't like that, go read this line again. Mary says, how can this be? I have no relations with a man. Now, if she and Joseph had planned to have children, she would have immediately assumed, okay, I'm about to be married. I, will, I can definitely imagine us having a son and calling him Jesus. But she does not do that. Because, as the church has always said, Mary maintained her virginity and always planned to maintain her virginity throughout her life. So those of you who have a hard time with this teaching, not only do I encourage you to read and ponder this, but you must pray. It is the devil who does not want you to believe in this true Teaching. And the only way to defeat the devil is through prayer. You need to beg and ask God for the gift of faith to believe and hear his true teaching. So Mary says, How can this be? I have no relations with a man. Then the angel says, It will be through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will conceive. Then once The angel indicates that it's not through man, but through the Holy Spirit. Then she agrees to it because she had already vowed her virginity to God. Be it done unto me according to your word then. So now when we look at that word until that we talked about in the beginning of Matthew, that same Greek word is used at the end of the gospel when Jesus says, I am with you always until the coming of the age so if you're going to use the same writer's use of the word in the beginning of his gospel to mean what it that it means she had children after Jesus was born then you would also have to conclude that the way the writer is using the word means that Jesus will no longer be with us at the coming of the age now you're probably struggling with that and you the reason is because it means if you were wrong before, which you were, you would have to admit that and you would have to change. And that's uncomfortable. And that means, that means there's going to be uncertainty and even vulnerability because some foundational beliefs that you have assumed and based your entire belief system on are being taken out from under you. So now, Let me look at some other passages here that we talked about last time. So there are other passages in Scripture and people in Scripture who refer to Jesus' brothers. Now, I pointed out last week that in their culture, they didn't have distinguishing words for brother, cousin, uncle, nephew, neighbor, close friend. It was basically all the same. And we even see that in the way the Old Testament is translated. So we have Abraham and his nephew Lot. Okay, so it's his nephew. We know that from certain scripture passages. However, in some, it is rendered his brother Lot. Again, because of that word usage. Now, when it comes to Jesus, it says your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside, and it names four boys and sisters plural so that would be a minimum of 6 siblings so i pointed out when jesus remained behind in the temple when he was 12 years old i pointed that story out and the person who did not want to believe that was saying oh well you know just because they weren't mentioned there doesn't mean that they 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 weren't alive i'm going to read that to you again and i want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you not hold on to whatever you've believed before, but to see the truth. So before I do, I want to preface it again by saying this. Christians from the very time of the apostles believed that Mary maintained her perpetual virginity, even key Protestant reformers Believed that Mary was a perpetual virgin, and they said the scriptures do not support the idea of her having other children. Okay, so now with that in mind, let's hear the Gospel of Luke, chapter two. I'm going to start at verse forty-one. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Let me pause right there. So, I am a father of four children. If We ever lost one of our kids, there is absolutely no way we're gonna leave all the other children to go search for the one. One of the one of us, my wife or I would stay with the other three while the one searched. And if we needed to switch, the one would come back, take over the three, and the other one would go search. We don't see anything like that happening. And Jesus is 12 years old. So if Mary had all of these other children, six other children, at least compared, you know, based on the one passage where it mentions four brothers and sisters, plural, then where are the children? You would get a strong sense somewhere in there of some provision being made for the children. Even if it was going to be your neighbors, you go and find your neighbors to watch. Mary went to the neighbors to make sure they watched the other six kids. Whatever it is, there is going to be something in there that would allude to other children. Or even your your father and I and your siblings have been searching for you with great anxiety. That's not the case. You can feel when you read this passage that there are no other children involved. Now, if you are opposed to that, I'm going to call you back to where we started today. Where did we start? The Bible alone does not have all of the truth that God revealed. And if you believe that, you are believing a lie. And if you still want to believe that, then show me the passages in the Bible that explain how is it possible or what does it mean for there to be one God, yet how does the Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit all fit into there's only one God. Like, what is taking place that would enable that to be possible? So the Bible doesn't explain that. So you can look all you want. You're never going to be able to get back to me unless you come to the realization that it's not in the Bible because the Bible alone doesn't have that. So the you were starting off in a place that was incorrect. Now here we are looking at Scripture passages that affirm the virginity of Mary, which I started off with, with the interaction with the angel, and also church history. Throughout the church's history, people believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary because that is what was taught from the time of the apostles, and it was passed on from generation to generation. And it began to be committed in writing, just like the scriptures eventually began to be committed in writing, but they weren't even started at first. The scriptures didn't even start for decades after the teaching of the apostles were passed on orally. And I also mentioned the specific people that were named as Jesus' brother are also mentioned as children of another Mary who is mentioned at the foot of the cross or at you know in the area of the cross at the time of the crucifixion. In addition, the siblings would have taken over caring for Mary after Jesus died if there were actually siblings, but because there were no siblings, Jesus had to give Mary to John, the beloved disciple at the foot of the cross and said, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And the scriptures say from that day forward, he took her into his home. He took her into his home and cared for her because she had no other family left to take care of her. Now, there are people who have tried to argue that Jesus' um, siblings did not believe in him or they weren't there, so he had to do that. All of these are attempts from people who already believed in the lies that I indicated earlier, the scripture alone and faith alone lies. They are trying to find a way to discredit Catholic teaching. So I call you back to the foundation of it all. The foundation of their beliefs are actually lies. Who's the father of lies? It is Satan. And I know it's hard to hear that, especially if you're a loving follower of Jesus who wants Jesus, and you're coming to realize that the foundation of your beliefs have been lies, that you've been passed on lies. Stop the cycle, folks. Stop passing on the lies. Jesus wants you to have the fullness of truth. And I'm going to conclude by bringing you back to the foundational teaching that is the pivotal mark of Jesus Christ and his teachings, because this is the way that Jesus remains physically present in the world in his body. And I'm going to draw you to John chapter 6, verse 51 through 58. And I have been begging you to pray with this scripture passage. You will not be able to believe in the teaching of Jesus based on your own human efforts. You need to pray and ask God for the grace. Folks, if you truly want Jesus, if you want all of Jesus, the fullness of truth and the fullness of Jesus, you need to beg for it and ask for it and say, Jesus, I want you. Please give me the grace to believe in the fullness of truth that you have revealed. And and then sit with this scripture passage, John 6, 51 through 58. I'm going to read it to you again. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I'm going to pause right there and say, notice how they knew he was speaking literally. And the word for eat that Jesus uses in this passage means to physically gnaw on. Jesus is saying, unless you physically gnaw on my flesh, you have no life within you is what I'm about to read. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. So Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat slash gnaw on the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood You have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like your ancestors who ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. My friends... Jesus is speaking very literally here that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. And if we do, he will raise us on the last day. That being the case, who does not want you to believe that we need to eat the body of Christ? It's Satan. That is who does not want you to believe. And in fact, a few verses down farther in verse 60 Jesus' own disciples say, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And then Jesus states a literal event that would take place after the resurrection. He says, does this offend you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Then he says, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. My friends, do you know what the flesh means? It means your fallen human nature. Your fallen human nature is of no avail. You need faith in the spirit, in the truth that Jesus just proclaimed. If you rely on your own human reasoning, it is of no avail to you. And you know what happened? In verse 666, that's John chapter 6, verse 66. Note the number of the devil, 666. His own disciples left him and went back to their former way of life because they did not want to place their faith in this true teaching of Jesus Christ. I urge you, if you consider yourself a true follower of Jesus, to beg him for grace as you pray with this scripture passage my friends jesus is speaking literally it is not figurative language here there have been people who have tried to talk you out of believing by distorting the scriptures some have said see the flesh is of no avail jesus is saying the flesh is of no avail the flesh refers to our fallen human nature when jesus says my flesh you must eat my flesh Jesus is referring to eating the divine body of God. So when Jesus says, my flesh, it does not mean the same thing as the flesh. And there have been people inspired by the evil one, even if they had good intentions, they were inspired by the evil one, to follow the lie and try to distort this passage by reinterpreting what the meaning of the flesh and my flesh meant. Don't let him do that to you. Stay close to Jesus. Pray. I'm begging you to pray. Now, I'm also going to say this as I wrap up. There have been people who have commented and messaged me and said, I no longer follow you because of your religious teaching. And praise the Lord Jesus Christ that I have been found worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. My Catholic brothers and sisters out there, if you are not suffering, for standing up for the true teachings of Jesus Christ as presented in the Catholic Church, then I urge you to change today. Change today. Look at my example if you must. But we need to be a voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Repent of your sins and make straight the path of the Lord. Repent means turn away from the lies. My friends, turn away from the lies. Scripture alone and faith alone are lies. They are not founded in Scripture. They go against the Bible, and I have shown you the exact passages that we should follow instead of them. We need to follow the defined, authoritative teaching that Jesus established in his papacy, and we need to follow Jesus and his words in, in particular way, the foundational point is Jesus in the Eucharist. Jesus is physically present in the Eucharist in every Catholic church right now. And in fact, a few hours ago, the body of God came into my body when I received him at Mass. And right now, you are looking at a human being who is not just spiritually, but is physically one with Jesus Christ. That's right. Let me repeat that. I am physically one with the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ, because I received his physical body into my body. And the physical food we eat becomes a physical part of our own flesh and blood. My friends, I invite you, if you are not Catholic, to let go of the lies and embrace the fullness of truth. If you finally realize that you want to become Catholic, Call your local Catholic church right now and tell them your situation. Ask them about RCIA, which is Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, which is the process you will go to through to receive the sacraments that will initiate you fully into Jesus' true bride, the church, his Catholic church. And if you still have trouble with that, I call you back to the questions I asked before. Do you believe that all of the truths from God are found in Scripture alone? Look yourself in the mirror and ask that question. And then you show me where God the Father, the entity we call Jesus Christ, his Son, and the entity we call the Holy Spirit. Where does the Bible explain how these three separate entities can be considered one God? Where does the Bible explain that? And when you finally realize the Bible itself does not contain the full explanation of that teaching, then you will realize you must look somewhere else. Where will you look? As for me and my house, we will look to the authority that Jesus himself assigned to Peter in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, that I shared with you, in fulfillment of Isaiah 22, 20 to 24, we will look to the authority Jesus established on earth to speak in His name with His authority when it came to when it comes to matters of faith and morals. God bless you.